Let's open to Romans chapter 5 as we uh, have our sixth message in this six-part series on the bridge to eternal life. Bring it all together this morning in uh, what we might refer to as the transition from death to life, the transition from being in Adam to being in Christ. And uh, that is the Apostle's emphasis here in Romans 5. Uh, But just by way of review, let me quickly go through where we've been. We understand that there is this great chasm between God and us. God is holy and God is loving. God is holy. He cannot even look at sin. And so that means that our sin causes a major problem. It breaks our relationship with God. But thankfully, God is also loving, and that is, he provided the way for us to be able to enter into a relationship with him and to receive eternal life. We are sinful. We are, are helpless. Um, we are born with a sin nature that is bent toward sin, and then we bend ourselves toward sin. It's part of our nature. We desire sinful things. And yet we are helpless. That is, we are helpless to do what is necessary in order to be reconciled to God. And so, thankfully, this loving God has sent his only begotten Son. And it is in the love of God that we find the gift of Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can bridge the gap. But we try. We try really, really hard to try to get to God. We try to work our way, perhaps buy our way, by giving to charity and giving to church and so on. Uh, Perhaps we try to be a good person because our conscience um, declares that we are not. Every time we sin, we feel guilty about it, and that's a gift from God. Uh, But many times we seek to uh, resolve that issue by just trying to be a better person. Um, Or we try religious duties and rituals, Um, And the list is endless of those which have been created over the course of church history and the new ones that man uh, seems to like to create in order to uh, create this so-called stairway to heaven, um, which doesn't exist, actually. The only stairway is the stairway from heaven by which God the Son descended uh, glory and came to this earth to become man so that he may rescue us from our sins. So Jesus Christ is the only bridge to eternal life. He is the one who bridges this chasm caused by our sin, this chasm that is far too deep and far too wide for any of our so-called goodness to be able to bridge. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who bridges that gap. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the Savior He is both Lord and he is Savior. He is the creator of us. He is the creator of all things. He has authority over all that he has made. But he is also the Savior. And so the Lord became our Savior. And that's why uh, Jesus Christ is even qualified to be our Savior. He could not have been our Savior had he not been the Lord because we needed a sinless Savior, one who could fulfill all of the law that God had made clear in his word. And then we see, finally, that God's word requires a response from us. The response is called faith. And in the Bible, faith is a two-sided coin compiled of repentance and belief. 
in repenting, we turn away from all of these stair steps that we have attempted to try to get to God with. We turn away from confidence in our own righteousness, and we turn away from our sin, and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We embrace him as the only one who is qualified to be our Savior. He is the only one who can do the work that we could never have done. That then results, finally, this morning, in this transaction from eternal death to eternal life. The moment we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our position before God changes. We once were in Adam and would naturally inherit eternal death. Now, through salvation by grace through faith, we now are in Christ and we will inherit the eternal life that only he can bring. So let's walk through this this morning just briefly in Romans chapter 5. There are two truths here that we must fully embrace as God's truth to us. Number one, we are each born a sinner in Adam and have earned eternal death. Now in Romans 5, verses 12 through 17, the Apostle Paul gives us a contrast between Adam and the second Adam, that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God uh, in the flesh, He was, humanly speaking, everything that Adam was supposed to be. But Adam failed because of sin. And the Bible says that we are all now born as descendants of Adam with his nature. That is, with his nature to want sin, to want to do evil, to want to go our own way, and yet... Christ has been merciful to us. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Paul is connecting here with the word therefore. He was speaking earlier of uh, the love of God, which we've looked at a number of times, which you can just back up briefly to verse 8, where we see God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of the love of God in all of history. It is God bridging the gap in order to rescue us, to bring us back into a relationship with him, just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, God took the initiative to go after them, to find them. They were hiding from God, and he searched and found them. And so it is with us. We are naturally like sheep that go astray, but God is the initiator. He's the one who chases us down. It's been historically said he's kind of like the hound of heaven. He will not stop chasing you until you come to him. And this is a glorious truth because if it were left to us, we would not have sought God on our own. Because all of that is true, and we have reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 12, Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there you have the origin of sin. Sin originated in the Garden of Eden when Adam willfully chose to rebel against God. Some people say, well, you know, Adam wouldn't have 
have uh, gone astray if he wouldn't have listened to his wife. Well, that's nonsense because actually Paul teaches in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that, that Adam was deceived, but Eve was utterly deceived. In other words, he places the obligation on Adam as being the one who knew fully well what he was doing when he took that fruit. He rebelled against God, defied the command of God. And then through him then, sin entered the human race and spread, notice what he says, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So death is part of the human experience because sin is universal in the human experience. Now, sin was in the world before the law was given, Paul says in verse 13, but sin is not counted when there is no law. So even between the Garden of Eden and Moses, the time where God actually gave his law to his people, of course there was a lot of sin. We read that in the scriptures. The rest of the book of Genesis is jam-packed with every kind of sin you can imagine. But it wasn't counted as such because there was no defining declaration of revelation from God as to what is holy and what is not. And yet death reigned from Adam all the way until Moses, verse 14, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So, Jesus Christ, the one to come, that's being referred to here, is a fulfillment of the type of Adam, Adam being the first man. Adam brought sin into the world. That sin brought judgment into the world. That judgment ultimately leads to condemnation, which means that you and I deserve eternal death. That's what we deserve. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that all those who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the good news for us as sinners. So we are each born a sinner in Adam and have earned eternal death. So that's our position. When we're born into this world as a sinner, our position is we're in Adam. See, when God looks at humankind, he sees two categories of people. Those who are still in Adam and those who are now in Christ. So the moment that we who were born in Adam come to repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we then transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of death, into the kingdom of eternal life. We are now looked at by God as being in Christ. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, that's how God looks at you right now. He doesn't see you in Adam anymore. He doesn't see you in your old ways, in your old sin. He sees you as a new person. You are a new creature in him. He sees you as a co-heir with Christ in the heavenly places. Because if you're no longer in Adam, you are now in Christ. And secondly, notice, not only are we each born a sinner in Adam, but we must each be born again in Christ to receive the gift of eternal life. 
There must be a rebirth that takes place in our heart, in our soul, a rebirth that only God can bring about, as was brought to us earlier in our praying through Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is not our good works. It is not us trying to clean up our lives that gets us closer to God. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, descending to earth to pay the price that our sins required. But this is a free gift. But like any gift, a gift must be received. A gift doesn't become yours until you receive it. If you've had a birthday recently and someone gave you a gift, that gift did not belong to you until you took hold of that gift as they gave it to you. There must be a personal transaction of receiving that gift. Otherwise, it remains the possession of the giver. And so it is with eternal life. So it is with salvation in Christ. It is God's gift, but it does not become ours until we receive it, personally taking hold, embracing the gift. And when we embrace the gift, we are also embracing the giver. That's the beauty of salvation. We're not just embracing heaven, but we are embracing Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who now is our new master and our Savior. But this free gift, verse 15, is not like the trespass. So the free gift that, that the one who is to come brings is unlike that which Adam brought into the world, which is sin or trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so sin spread to all because all sinned. As the federal representative of the human race, Adam, we all sinned in Adam, through Adam, and so we were born with his nature. But now we may receive the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of salvation to those who embrace the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. This free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, verse 16, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Look at the beauty of this explanation, the contrast between Adam and Christ. This free gift brought about by Christ is not like the result of that one man's sin because that one man's sin brought judgment into the world which then resulted in condemnation. But the one act of righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ brought justification it didn't follow one sin. It followed many sins, all of our sins. And it brought justification. For if, verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more 
will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is a gift that comes through the abundance of God's grace. But notice in verse 17, who receives this abundance of grace? Those who receive it. This is where the transaction is taking place. This is where the response is required. God commands us to believe the gospel. It's not an option. It's like, well, you can choose Jesus or not choose Jesus because he's just one of many ways to heaven. No, you must repent and believe in the gospel because it's the only good news that will ever save any of us as sinners. You cannot have Jesus plus your good works. You must have Jesus and Jesus alone as the security of your salvation. Then, when new birth happens, when the rebirth takes place, that will then result in the production of good works. But good works come after salvation, not before. See the difference? I was raised in a religion that taught that that good works was the horse that pulls uh, the wagon of salvation. But the Bible teaches the opposite. The horse is salvation, redemption, conversion, the new birth that pulls the wagon of good works. Why is that necessary to believe? Well, because as long as you are thinking that the horse is your good works, you have faith in yourself, not in Christ. Your faith ultimately is in yourself, not in Christ. And so you must come to that place of repentance whereby you turn away from faith in yourself and you turn to the Lord Jesus, who alone is the one who can save us and promises to save us if we will turn to him. Turn back with me to John 5. I want you to see how Jesus encapsulates this in one verse. In John 5. In verse 24, Jesus here in this context is speaking of his authority. He is the Lord. He is God. And he has revealed himself through his word. And so how we respond to the word is how we respond to Jesus. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I've got a problem with the Bible. If that's the way you think, then you don't have the Jesus of the Bible. You have a Jesus of your own making. Jesus says in John 5, 24, look at how simple this is. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So let's look at the bridge again. Notice, what does Jesus say? If you believe in Jesus, there should be one at the end with that uh, curvy arrow, thank you, then we transfer from eternal death to eternal life. Now, look at that while I read what Jesus says in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you pass from being in Adam to being in Christ. You pass from a state of death to a state of life. One more verse I want to show you in 1 John chapter 5, written by the same apostle, but I want you to see the simplicity, but also the assurance. These are some verses that I memorized in my first year as a Christian, and they really changed my life forever because um, I was raised in a religion that said you cannot know that you are saved. In fact, uh, if you do say you are, you are committing the sin of presumption. And yet this is contrary to what Scripture teaches. In 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Could God have made this any clearer for us? John is restating in a different way, in an expanded way, what Jesus says in John 5.24. There are two categories of people in this world. You either have Christ or you don't have Christ. You are either still in Adam and will get the consequences that Adam brought into this world or through repentant faith in Jesus, you have transferred into the kingdom of life and you now have Christ and this is the testimony. This is a true testimony from God, John says, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his what? His Son. It is found nowhere else. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. Very simple very clear. But verse 13, 30 some years ago, 38 years ago, blew my mind away. Because what does he say? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what is the next word? No. K-N-O-W, no that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know in this lifetime before our funeral that we have eternal life. 
we can know this. We can have this assurance in our heart. Because when we come to Jesus in this simple, repentant faith in him alone, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And Romans 8 says that this Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the Holy Spirit keeps talking to our spirit back and forth, back and forth, assuring us that we belong to God because of Christ, not because of us, not because of anything we have done, are doing, or will do, but only because of everything that Jesus has already done on the cross through his resurrection. And he continues to do as our high priest who keeps us saved. Is this not the best news you've ever heard in your whole life? This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you love us so, so much. That you saw us in our desperate, helpless condition. You saw us not as your friends, but as your enemies, as lost and straying sheep wandering into other pastures and not staying close to the one who made us. And yet you chased us down. Oh, you were that faithful shepherd who went and searched for us. You convicted us of our sin. You showed us the sinfulness of our heart. You showed us the emptiness of our religion, the emptiness of our own attempts to bridge the gap. And you rescued us. And on that cross, you displayed love and righteousness at the same time. Love for sinners and yet righteousness according to your law by putting your son to death as the one and only acceptable lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, we praise you and thank you today that our salvation is a free gift. And Father, you know the heart of everyone here today. If there's anyone here struggling in their heart to let go of confidence in their flesh, assurance in their own good works, oh, would you just so graciously loosen the fingers that are gripping their heart and cause them to let go, to turn away from faith in themselves, and to turn in simple childlike faith to Jesus who says, if you believe in my name, then you transfer from death into life. Do this work, Lord, that only you can do in our hearts, for we know we are helpless. 